Hare Krishna. Long time no see. Um, so the schedule is uh, this Friday I fly to uh, well to Delhi and then to Brindavan and I'll be there for two weekends. So the next class will be on the 19th of November. And then after that, not, no, I don't have any travel um, that would affect our class until February. Uh, and then we'll talk about whether, you know, Thanksgiving weekend, Christmas, New Year's weekends, if that makes sense or not. We'll see how everyone's schedules are. <clears throat> but I realize we've been uh, away quite some time. A few, a few weeks ago we were going to have class, and then uh, I got a call on a Saturday night saying, can you fly to uh, um, Seattle on Sunday morning? So just went. <laughs> yeah, so I had to cancel class. Um, so I thought we'd just you know, give a quick overview of the third canto where we are right now. Um, we're, we're just on chapter 22, and there's 33 chapters in the, uh, and some of the richest um, teachings are yet to come, the teachings of Lord Kapiladev. <clears throat> so the, the, the canto began with um, uh, questions by Vidura to Uddhava, and uh, they, they spoke a lot about, about Krishna, actually. Um, the, the first four chapters where Vidura meets Uddhava and they discuss about Krishna. And, uh, chapter uh, one was questions of Vidura, chapter two was remembrance of Lord Krishna, that Uddhava is remembering Krishna. I don't know if you have how far back, I'm trying to, trying to estimate when we, probably a year and a half ago maybe, when we were on this. Right. Uh, then chapter three um, spoke about Krishna's pastimes outside of Braj, outside of Brindavan. And then chapter four is entitled Vidura Approaches Maitreya. Uh, and that includes the uh, departure of the Yadu dynasty from the earth. Um, and Krishna preparing for his own um, leaving of this universe to go to another universe and to perform his pastimes. Um, and Maitreya Muni arrives and Krishna instructs Uddhava. Uddhava leaves for Padarik Ashram and uh, he goes to find Maitreya Muni. Right? So then chapters 5 to 10 talk about Maitreya Muni um, describing the creation of the universe, the beginnings of the universe to Vidura. Um, chapter 6 was specifically the creation of the universal form. Chapter 7, there's more, there's a discussion about uh, Krishna's relationship to the material world. Then in chapter 8, we hear about Lord Brahma and his prayers for the create, to be able to create uh, properly. Um, that's, um, you know, they're very wonderful prayers. And then there's Krishna's response to his prayers. And in chapter 10, with the different divisions of creation, actually 10 to 12 talk about time, the destruction of the universe, and the uh, visarga, the subsequent creation of Lord Brahma. Um, chapter 10 was divisions of time from the atom. Remember that? Oh, that's 11, rather. And chapter 12, the creation of the Kumaras, the 10 sages, Rudra, the, the Manus. And then chapter 13, talks about the appearance of Lord Braha and the killing of Hiranyaksha. Maybe you're starting to remember some of those. At least my memory is starting to catch up a little bit by then. 
Chapter 13 is the appearance of Lord Varaha. Then chapter 14 kind of goes back a little historically. It talks about Ditti um, uh, pregnancy in the evening, right? Uh, and then description of the, the kingdom of God and the four Kumaras approaching the gateway and uh, Jayan Vijay going, Rook, stop, <laughs> you can't come in, right? And the Lord arrives and the four Kumaras offer prayers to the Lord. And then the next chapter, 16, talks about the two doorkeeper, doorkeepers, Jayan Vijay and their history. Well, uh, the curse by the sages and some question of who was at fault, right? And 18 and 19 talk about the battle between Varahadev and Hiranyaksha. Mm. And chapter 20 starts another section, and uh, the marriage and renunciation of Kardamamuni, right? Because, the, because after this Varaha, then uh, um, pastime takes place, Maitreya um, asks more questions, actually Shasanaka Rishi asks more questions of Sutta Goswami about the Manus and about you know, what happened. After, after this. And so chapter 20 was the conversation between Maitreya and Vidura uh, and about the repopulation of the universe by the Manus. That's how we start hearing about uh, the Manus. And then chapter 21, the conversation between, which we just talked about, between Manu and Kardamamuni, right? And so now we're up to this chapter 22, which continues that conversation in the marriage of uh, Kardama and Devahuti. Then Devahuti has some lamentation because Karnama decides to take sannyas. But her lamentation doesn't really last long because she has a pretty good son, you know, relatively good supreme personality of God. Uh, Kapila Dev appears as her son in chapter 24. Her husband takes sannyas. And there's a whole discussion there which we'll discuss about, well, why did he take sannyas if he's got God as his son? And then we hear about Kapila's, the rest of the uh, book is about, the canto is about Kapila's instructions. Uh, chapters 25 to 29, his teachings on Sankhya and Bhakti. And then uh, chapters 30 to 33 conclude his teachings about time, about pious activities, about adverse karmic activities, um, the entanglement of fruit of activities, and finally the pastimes. Whew. So it's quite a canto. It's one of the... I haven't... I guess it would probably be either the third or the fourth largest canto. Largest would be which one? Tenth canto. Next largest? I think so. No, I don't think so. I think seventh, eleventh canto is larger. And then comes either third or fourth and then seventh. And, or seventh and first might compete with each other. Yeah. Yeah, okay, but there's three volumes, in, so, but uh, there's, in the original, there's four volumes of the third canto and four, four volumes of the fourth canto. Uh, tenth canto is, of course, huge, 90 chapters and full of all kinds of wonderful things. And the eleventh canto, as a matter of fact, uh, the, um, the book that, that uh, Buri Prabhu wrote on the eleventh and twelfth canto, um, which is, I don't know if you've, and some of you may have seen his book on the first to fourth canto, um, called Unveiling His Lotus Feet. It's, quite, it's a thick book. So, similar book he just wrote for the 11th and 12th canto, and it just got published two days ago. So, it's available now. And it's called The Backward Glance, because it's the 11th and 12th canto, it's looking back at the 10th canto. Like that. Uh, so, 
That's his first to four. Yeah, and he's working now on fifth through ninth. And he doesn't really consider himself qualified to do the tenth. But we'll see if he gets to that. It's a lot, it's a lot of writing. It's, he has a very intense writing schedule. And he, yeah, it's a lot of work. I do the easy stuff. I just proofread it or something like that. But he actually writes it. Um, well, the one thing we did also, we sometimes um, transcribed his lectures. Because sometimes when he read those, he got some points. Okay, so let's do, let's read the 22nd chapter of the second canto. And uh, is there a way of turning off, uh, not that we, the Srila Prabhupada's bhajan is playing in the background, which is wonderful. Yeah. So we're in chapter 22, okay? And so if you remember what happened um, is that, uh, Swayambhuvamanu, um, Krishna-inspired Swayambhuvamanu, that, uh, that, car, that his, uh, his wonderful daughter, Devahuti, would have a good match in uh, Kardamamuni. So he's approaching. So there's this very sweet exchange between Swayambhuvamanu and Kardamamuni. So first verse says, Sri Maitreya said, after describing the greatness of the emperor's manifold qualities, so what we had just heard at the end of the last chapter, was uh, the, the saint, Kardama, excuse me, glorifying the Chatriya Swayambhuvamanu. So after describing the greatness of the emperor's manifold qualities and activities, the sage became silent, and the emperor, feeling modesty, addressed him as follows. So do you ever feel modesty when someone glorifies you? Oh, shucks, Prabhu, I shouldn't, you know. No, it's not like that. You know, that's at least our natural... Although in the back of our mind, we might be thinking, well, you missed a few points, <laughs> right? But, uh, but at least externally, we go, oh, I'm humbled by that, etc. Right. Manu replied, to expand himself in Vedic knowledge, Lord Brahma, the, personal, the personified Veda, from his face created you, the Brahmanas, who are full of austerity, knowledge, and mystic power, and are averse to sense gratification. Verse chapter verse 3. For the protection of the Brahmanas, the thousand-legged supreme being, that must be another, that's kind of the universal form, yeah, created us, the Chatriyas, from his thousand arms. Hence, the Brahmanas are said to be his heart, and the Chatriyas are his arms. That is why, next verse, the Brahmanas and Chatriyas protect each other as well as themselves and the Lord himself, who is both the cause and effect and is yet immutable, um, protects them through each other. In the purport, Srila Prabhupada writes the second sentence, the Brahmanas are intended to be protected by the Kshatriyas, and the Kshatriyas are intended to be enlightened by the Brahmanas. When the Brahmanas and Kshatriyas cooperate nicely, the other subordinate divisions, the Vaishyas or mercantile people, and the Sudras or labor, labor class automatically flourish. And then in the second uh, paragraph it says, if the different castes or social sections, although apparently differently occupied in different activities, nonetheless, nevertheless act in full cooperation, then the Lord is pleased. This is the idea of the institution of four Varnas and four Ashramas.
If the members of different ashramas and varnas cooperate fully in Krishna consciousness, then society is well protected by the Lord without doubt. So, you know how we, we all kind of look at things through our own lens, right? Remember we, we talked about once how if you're about to buy a new car and you're driving along, all you do is notice cars, right? Yeah, you know, and, and similar things like that. Anything that you're about to, if, you're, if your son or daughter is about to get married, you notice marriage venues everywhere, right? And, you know, it's just you're focused like that. So when I read this, <laughs> I've really picked up on this, the point here. Several times it says the word cooperate. And I think of my, you know, the way I see the world through conflict resolution, things like that. So the whole... Here it's saying, one way to look at it, at least, is varnas, the varnashram, right? The the different um, occupations that we have and the different stages in life that we're in. They're meant to be cooperative. They're meant to work together. And therefore, the metaphor is given of a body, right? Because the body can't say, you know, the, the, the legs can't say, I'm on strike, right? If they do, it's a problem. Right, right. I was just uh, reading that you know it's very, very sad that some of those people who were attacked in Las Vegas, some of them are now quadriplegic, you know, or, or you know, um, like, or that, or they can't walk anymore. So how difficult a life that is when you can't walk, or what sweep your quadruple, you can't use your arms as well, right, right. Or if uh, the hands say, you know. We're, I'm going to go, we're going to go on strike. That's the example Prabhupada gives, right? That we're, you know, I, have, I keep on having to take this food and put it in the mouth, and the, the tongue gets very glad, um, gets satisfied, and the stomach gets satisfied, but where's my, what, what fun do I get? So we're on strike. We're no longer going to cooperate and put food in the mouth, right? We know what that's going to be like. So it's such a nice analogy, the analogy of the body, because the body actually, the parts have to cooperate with each other. The hands have their job, the legs have their job, the mouth has their job, the, the heart, the stomach has their job. And when it works together, that's called good health, right? And a, you know, a relatively happy life. <laughs> but if, one, if some of those are not working, any of them aren't working, right? Anyone ever break their arm? No one here? Oh, you have, okay. It's not easy, is it? It's not easy. If you have, if you have, if you're uh, anyone, well, <laughs> anyone ever have deli belly, as they call it, right? Yeah, that's no fun. You spend half your life in the uh, in the restroom, <laughs> right? So the stomach's not cooperating, right? Right? Or if a toothache, if I have a really bad toothache, right? And it's really hard to even eat something, right? Or think clearly, because, right? Or a broken when my wife had her broken leg, right? It was so hard for her. She, you know, it's just really hard to get around. You know, we, she had to move back over here and anyway. And, and when someone had to get her in a wheelchair all the time and push her down the hill, and you know, <laughs> my son would play, have fun with her, making believe the wheelchair was going out of control. You know, <laughs> right? So, so uh, the body cooperating is is so important. So society. When it cooperates, it's very nice, right? I think I mentioned this before that, I, like, I try to make a conscious effort at work, because I'm, you know, I'm in my tie and jacket—not necessarily a suit, but you know, obviously it looks like I have a um, what would you call it—a higher, 
uh, paying job or a higher authority or something like that, right? But I really try to make sure I'm, you know, I'm, I'm as respectful to the person who's taking out my garbage or vacuuming my office as I am to, you know, the deputy secretary or something like that, you know? Because we need, you know, if they went on strike, the whole building would smell in a few days, right? So we actually, you know, need the cooperation of everyone. No one is really higher or lower. You know, I, you know, of course, if you lose your head, you, you, you know, you're finished, right? If you lose your legs, you can still, you know, but it's, but the idea is when everyone cooperates, uh, it's nice. That's the same with the social system. So it really was just a society. You know, we have these ideas. We try to understand what it would be like today to be in an ashram. But, you know, looking at it through this lens, it was society that cooperated with each other. And ideally, that it wasn't just regular Varnashram, but it was Daivi Varnashram, where everyone, where people understood there was a goal higher than just cooperating to get, you know, for society to run nicely, but ultimately to serve the Supreme. And therefore, we're all spirit souls, and no one's higher or lower. Right? No one's higher or lower. They just have different duties to perform. Like that. But as we know, it's all gotten quite corrupted, you know, today, and People with, you know, even if they have the last name of Sharma, and so they think they're Pakka Brahman. Anyone here named Sharma, I don't, don't take any offense. You know, even if they're driving a rickshaw, I, I have my Brahman thread, I'm Sharma. You know, right, or uh, Chaturvedi or Trivedi or whatever, you know, these names of Brahman families and things like that. But, I, but really, um, in Krishna consciousness, there's no higher or lower. We're all servants. That time that Srila Prabhupada gave a talk on the Varnash, I mean, he, he spoke about it in a socialist country in Sweden, which obviously didn't really mesh very well with their, their um, political way of thinking. So at the end, a student got very upset with his talk and said, and because Prabhupada was using uh, first class, second class, third class, fourth class, just to you know, try to make it easier than using Brahmin's structures, but, but they took it. That one class is higher than the other. And so someone yelled out, which class are you? Prabhupada got very humble. He said, I am the fifth class. I am the servant of everyone. Like that. So I picked out, I, I focused on these, this word cooperate in the purport that's used several times. Some thoughts on that? I understand that we are here to rather uh, explore about different uh, conversations, but... I just had this thought that today we live in democracy. Right. And we are talking about cooperation. Yes. Um, Brahmanas cooperating with Kshatriya, and that was a previous system followed in India primarily, mm -hmm. or maybe some other countries like Greece as well. Uh, and we see that in democracies, people refuse to cooperate with each other. <laughs> they say opposition, and they will deliberately sabotage progressive attitude. Mm. So, uh, Prabhu, do you think it lies in trust? Has the trust dwelled in the present society? Or it's what good. is the solution to a stagnant government which is only doing very little in terms <laughs> of efficiency? Well, well, first of all, we can understand that any form of government can be corrupted. We read many times in the Bhagavatam, and we know from history certainly that monarchies can... You know, Louis VIII didn't do very well. Who was that, Henry VIII? 
Pope of the Eighth. Right? Anyway, you know, there, there was um, there's been all kinds of uh, even and even in uh, monarchies that were kind of seem spiritually, we understand that there were some times when popes were not exactly uh, the purest of souls. Let's just put it that way, right? So, um, anarchy, of course, has its problems. Monarchy can have its problems. Democracy can have its problems. Um, communism can have its problems. And capitalism, as we can see today, can certainly have its problems. <coughs> now, one way to look at things is that Farnashram is already there. You already have people who are workers. You already have people who are mercantile people. You already have people who are administrators. And you already have people who are thinkers. They're, and Srila Prabhupada even talked about it. Even in a communist country, you, <laughs> you know, it, there was still this, uh, it's because it's, it's natural. Because it's natural. So, um, Yes, sometimes Srila Prabhupada would call democracy demon crazy. But at other times he would also say that it is the, probably the best thing in Kali Yuga. <laughs> um, the, then he, you know, he would say different things because if a person, you know, uh, a uneducated electorate, you know, people, you know, the people who make, who, who cast the votes, that's a problem, right? If they don't really know what they're doing, they'll vote for a person because they like their movies, you know, if they were a movie star before, or, or cricket player, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, or whatever, right, you know. Um, so, and we don't attract often people who are trying to be in office who actually have good qualities. It's hard to get them elected. You know, um, sometimes. Um, so it's, it's it, I guess our conclusion is it would be great to get people elected who are actually were of, you know, thoughtful and pious and God fear, you know, God conscious. That would be ideal, right? Um, and in lieu of that, we just try to make as many people Krishna conscious as possible. One time, Srila Prabhupada said that if 1% of the world became uh, devotees, really, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, ISKCON, but devotees of God, you know, really aiming for purity, even if they weren't there yet, uh, the world would be fine. So that's 70 million, right? 1% one, 1 approximately. Yeah, so that can give you a, something to aim for. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, okay, yeah. It's so tricky because uh, people with absolute power have, uh, what absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? And we've seen that in, um, so in different parts of the world. Once they see the power, they, yeah. they forget the time when they were probably poor and they were yeah. overpowered. And they don't have the strength to be consistent yeah. with the values. Yeah, look at somebody like Stalin. He killed, what is it, 25 million people? Many, many he killed of his own people, right? And Pol Pot and Hitler and... So I guess you could say we're, in America we're better off because the leader only lasts four to eight years. You know, I can't, they, 
uh, it's set up. So, of course, it's, you could say that's not a good thing. It's just less bad, <laughs> right? But uh, there's problems. And, and we've seen it's, it's even become worse. And when I grew up in the 60s and 70s, uh, there was at least some, generally, the, the, the kind of criticism that we see of the president you wouldn't see in public, right? And uh, yeah, there was, there was some protocol both ways, right? Yeah, at least externally. So it really is Kali Yuga, isn't it? My God, just pick up the paper every day. And it's just like, that's what we should, you know, hopefully we're seeing through the eyes of Shastra. And when we look at the newspaper, we just say, oh my God, Kali Yuga. Because it's just, uh, it's just all pervasive. Anything else? Yes. Since we've opened, opened up the can of worms, I'd like to dig in a little bit. <laughs> okay. I don't think, because of Kali Yuga, I don't think there's really any hope. You can't pin your hopes on democracy. I don't think it will work. I don't think it's possible because uh, all these things tend towards complication, right? Even that's the problem with the scripture. It's talking about this cooperation, which works in heaven, right? <laughs> holy cooperation, and it's that's very right. advanced. It's very refined, but it only it only works there. I don't think it works down here at all. <laughs> I think I think the only peaceful places you've ever had on this planet were very simple societies, like the people in Hawaii before they were invaded or discovered by outside people. They actually had no word in their language for hate, but they had a very simple society. They didn't have all these roles. Everybody did the same thing. Everybody went down and caught their fish, and, and it, it wasn't complicated. So I think if you, right. people want to have complication, because of Kali Yoga, it's not going to work. I don't, you it's, can't pin your hopes on democracy. Oh, you can, yeah, uh, that's why we pin our hopes on uh, Krishna. <laughs> it's like, you know, if you were a gambler, not that anyone here should be a gambler, right? And you were going to put all of your chips on, like, you know, in roulette, right? You put all your chips on a number, right? So we want to put all of our chips on Krishna, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in that sense. Because, yes, ultimately, and then ultimately, of course, there's Janma, Mrityu, Jara, and Vyadi. There's birth, death, disease, and old age. So even if you live in a nice, peaceful society, you have to leave it at some point. But that's why, you know, Srila Prabhupada was saying that outside of his, the way he, he was thinking at one point at least, uh, outs, and this was before there was congregational devotees, um, but outside of those in the city actually trying to spread Krishna consciousness, he thought the best thing was to live in a rural community, simple living and high thinking, right? Not high living, simply thinking, right? <laughs> so simple living, high thinking, because... In a, if you actually can create a culture like that, like you're saying, there's just natural interdependence. It's not just you against the world and you, you, know, you get your paycheck and then you, you know, and this and that. But no, you bartered for things. And Brahmins, you know, they had to eat, so they had to offer their services, right? And, and Vaishyas understood the necessity, you know, and, and taxes were fine because it's a 25% tax on things, but they, the citizens felt that they were getting more than their 25% worth, right, and things like that. So it's, that was his idea, was that if we can't, if we're not going to be in the city, which is full of contaminations, um, live a simple life in the country. And it's also just, you know, the other thing about an agrarian lifestyle is it's much easier to see how we're dependent on God.
right? Because without the rains, no grains, right? And, and you know, here, as long as you have a paycheck, you go to giants and you buy your food. And there's no need for God in that whole thing. You don't, you don't really figure that that apple came from a, you know, or apple orchard that was, you know, dependent on, no, you know, it's just like, I got my check, go to the bank, take out some bucks, and, uh, you know, get my thing. Yes, Prabhu. Hare Krishna, Prabhu. So it's interesting that uh, we, are, we are talking about Kali Yoga and how things are declining to some extent. If you look at how people are living, what things they're involved in, how they enjoy and all that. And as a devotee, that's what we think about. But it's interesting that a lot of people, a lot of famous people talk about how we are moving up right. in society, how we are much better than what we were before. Yeah, people like Bill Gates, I mean, there are a lot of people who just talk about, oh, did you see the crime we used to have before? Now it's less crime. So they are talking about improving life, but as a devotee, how we see things is very different. And yeah. we think that it's Kali Yuga and it's a decline. Well, it, yeah, it, it's... Um, yeah, well, Kali Yuga does decline, that's true. And there's always trade-offs. And so they're, they're, they're choosing to focus on the positives, right? Like, for example, there's some good things about these things. I'm uh, pointing to a cell phone. Right, and we know there's all kinds of problems with it, right? Especially, uh, you know, they say that how much anxiety Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook cause for, especially teenagers. They said I think the worst one is uh, Instagram, because people um, doctor up their photos to look more beautiful than they are, and then someone sees it and they get, you know, right, and all, and all that. Um, so the the the. The epitome of Kali Yuga is that something that can be, you know, that can create some good also has a downside. So, yeah, you know, um, you, can, you can go on, um, what is it called, FaceTime, right? If you're a doctor and you're in the, like, you know, some place in the middle of nowhere and you can be showing a doctor back at uh, Johns Hopkins something and they could be diagnosing it right there and, uh, you know. And then, you know, so there are some advances that the, the improvements in surgery helped me out when I had open heart surgery, you know. My father had the same problem 40 years earlier and he died a year after the surgery, right? Um, because they didn't have the same advances. That, so, but, you know, the, the problem is that everything has a, a trade-off, isn't it? Right, and so, I don't know, I'm trying to think, how many of us were adults um, pre-internet? Okay, so would you say your life has super improved with the internet? Mataji's <laughs> going like this, no. The opposite. Okay. More complicated, yeah. Of course it depends on how we're using it, yes, yes. Yeah. Right. It's life. Mm -hmm. You need so many things around us to live nowadays. That I need so many. What was that word? So many material things that. Uh, so many things. More. Yes, that's right. It means more bill. It means you have to work more. Right. I live without them. I live without them, and life was more simple. Life was more simple. Yes. Yeah. If yeah. you don't have electricity nowadays. We all die, mm -hmm. right? 
Because all those things depend all in material things. If you live without them before, you know they didn't make life simple. I was one of the first kids in my dormitory to have an electric typewriter. And I thought that was really, whoa, you know? But somehow I was writing 100-page essays and things for college then and without cutting and pasting. And, and I was much more careful about what I typed because you didn't just press backspace. You had to take out this thing and put it in there. And, you know, uh, yeah, yes. So, so yes, Pooh. So I, I, it, it, I was remembering the the term that Prabhupada uses a lot, which is material, materially exhausted. Yes. So when you become materially exhausted, then then you come to Krishna consciousness. Yeah, that's good. yes, that's one reason. Yes, yeah. that's one reason. And he said this was during when there was tele, uh, telegraph, tele, telegraph, right? So he, the devotees were saying um, to him, "Why don't all the temples get telegraph machines?" And they can communicate more easily because um, long-distance calls in those days were super expensive, like $2 a minute. And that was when $2 was a lot of money, right? Um, and he said, they will, no, they will just talk per jalpa. <laughs> so what to speak of? So, you know, he didn't imagine, you know, you know us getting 100 emails a day, you know, <laughs> and, and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> what he would say about the internet, well, we don't know exactly. But, but it's like anything in the material world, you know, it can be used for positive, right? You can reach people in Christ, with Krishna consciousness all over the world from, you know, a little shack in Montana, if you have such. Or, and it can also be used for so many bad reasons. Yes, Boo? everything is Krishna's energy and yes. it's up to us to use it in Krishna's service. So if you deviate from that, of course, there is a misuse and misuse has adverse consequences. Yeah. And that just disturbs us. So why take a step in that direction when you can take the right step? So it's all about perception. It's at the end, it just comes out to how we individually perceive something. Well, tools are just tools. How you use those tools do you use it for your spiritual advancement or do you use it, or you are worried about how other people are using it materially? That's distracting. That's prajalpa mm. to me. Means, you know, why worry about what everyone is doing when our purpose is to help ourselves and others come to Krishna? Yes, so technology makes a good servant and a terrible master. <laughs> Divorced? Do I think the internet has made more people devotees? Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd need, you know, need some more empirical uh, evidence, but I, don't, I can't think of that. I, I do know some people who have had some success in quote-unquote you know, uh, internet outreach, but actually the devotees have been pretty poor in terms of making a really good internet presence. It's not one of our strong suits. At the moment, although there's some now, there's some efforts to really make it good. Yes, Boo? I, I think internet has helped with the accessibility of things, like like with lectures and yes, like with Mayapur.tv and the live kind of feed. And there's so much out there that you can sit at home and if you cannot go to a temple, you can listen to something, you can watch something live. So I think that's that, that's that true. Not, that's true. I mean, I, for for me, that's really 
good thing about internet. If I had Facebook, also with Facebook, I had Facebook account before I stopped the account. I created a new one, and now I only follow the devotees. So the feed is all full of gotcha. devotees going. Uh, I just don't the... use Facebook. I don't even because even I see devotees talk about you know. Well, here's a picture of their lasagna prasadness, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or whatever you know. Uh, <laughs> Yes. Well, it's funny because when I first moved to India, this was 1989, right? So I wanted to be able to hear Prabhupada's lectures. So I bought all one, 1,100 of his lectures on cassettes. So I had this huge trunk, and I, and I schlepped it all the way from uh, Detroit to Vrindavan. And I probably broke my back meantime. Now I could fit 10 times that many well, this is um, 100 gigs or whatever. I could probably fit 50, uh, I don't know, 200 times as many lectures on this little thing here. It, it's wild. It's scary. If we would have been able to tell Prabhupada, you'll take a, show him one of these pen drives this big, you know, even, thir even probably eight gigs would cover all of his lectures and tell him that, Prabhupada, all of your lectures that you've given fit right here. Gotcha. All right. So, yes and no. I don't know if I listen more and when before I had the internet, but you're too young to remember before the internet, so. Okay, then we better move on to cover anything. This is, <laughs> you can't remember a time when there was no internet, right? There was a time, <laughs> believe it or not, when we didn't have computers. I didn't have a, com my first computer I ever had was 90, yeah, 90, long ago in a far off universe. <laughs> Uh, 1989, I think, my first computer. It, it was like this big. It was a so-called laptop, and it weighed a ton, a ton. And it had a uh, 10 megabyte hard drive, 10 megabyte, and it used floppy disks. Yeah, and it, oh, it was like the whole thing was just, oh, God. Yeah. And it wasn't Word. There was something called Word Star. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, okay, let's move on. Now I have resolved all my doubts simply by meeting you, for your lordship has very kindly and clearly explained the duty of a king who desires to protect his subjects. Prabhupada writes, Manu described uh, herewith the result of seeing a great saintly person. Lord Chaitanya says that one should always try to associate with saintly persons, because if one establishes a proper association with a saintly person, even for a moment, one attains perfection. So there's an example of Prabhupada paraphrasing a shloka. Lava matra, sadhu sangha, sarva shastrahai. That one lava, I think it's one eleventh of a second. And that means it's the time that it takes a pure devotee to inject the bhakti lata bija in someone's heart. Somehow or other, if one meets a saintly person and achieves his favor, then the entire mission of one's human life is fulfilled. And Prabhupada tells his own story about his own life. And he says, in our personal experience, we have actually, actual proof of this statement of Manu. Once we had the opportunity to meet Vishnupad Sri Srimad Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Goswami Maharaj, and on first sight, he requested the humble, this humble self to preach his message in the Western countries. There was no preparation for this, but somehow or other, he desired it, and by his grace, we are now engaged in executing his order, 
which has given us a transcendental occupation and has saved and liberated us from the occupation of material activities. So he said he gave me some service, probably. Thus, it is actually a fact that one uh, that if one meets a saintly person completely engaged in the transcendental duties and achieves his favor, then one's life's mission becomes complete. What is not possible to achieve in thousands of lives, not possible to achieve in thousands of lives, can be achieved in one moment if there is an opportunity to meet a saintly person. It is therefore enjoined in Vedic literature that one should always try to associate with saintly persons and try to disassociate himself from the common man because by one word of a saintly person, one can be liberated from material entanglement. So he's, he's saying that's exactly what happened to him. Two sentences, his guru said, you're a young man uh, and you know English. Please spread Lord Chaitanya's message in the English-speaking world. Just, that's it. And it changed his whole his life. A saintly person has the power, because of his spiritual advancement, to give immediate liberation to the conditioned soul. So Prabhupada was, they were telling this story. A devotee was telling this story. And actually, uh, yeah, a lot of devotees have had this experience. The person that introduced them to Krishna consciousness didn't necessarily himself or herself practice Krishna consciousness later on. And Prabhupada said, that's like Narendra Malik, his friend, who brought him to see Srila Bhakti Siddhanta, right? Because Prabhupada didn't want to go. So, you know, I've seen these saintly people. I know what they're all like, right? And so Narendra said, no, he's a really saintly person. So he dragged Prabhupada to see him. But Narendra Malik, him personally, him, he didn't take up Krishna consciousness, so at least so seriously. But Prabhupada did. So they were telling Prabhupada this story about someone, a devotee in Japan who was introduced by someone else, but he... He said, yes, just like Narendra Malik. <laughs> and I can't say that I'm a devotee, and neither can I say that this person who had introduced me ever, I don't know, I tried to keep in touch with him, but I didn't, but I, I was introduced by a clerk at work, uh, a, a law clerk, and you know, I, then I shaved up and became a brahmacharya, and I don't know what you know, he did, but it's interesting how that sometimes works. So association with devotees, some thoughts? Okay, I guess it's clear, but Prabhupada here is really showing how important it is to associate. And it's also important for us to remember that um, it doesn't mean just great, great devotees, but anyone who helps remind, remember, uh, remind us of Krishna. And, you know, um, Srila Prabhupada wasn't always so appreciative of someone who would just try to fly here and fly there to catch his association, but often was more appreciative of someone who took his vani, his instructions, stayed in one place and did their service responsibly and in a dedicated way. And of course, we're, as Prabhuji's pointing out, we, we can associate uh, with Srila Prabhupada. All of his lectures are online. We can associate with so many devotees. And I mean, for me, I, when I go on uh, ISKCON Desire Chair, I just get bewildered. Because there's like, I don't know, there's enough lectures probably to listen to one for the next, you know, 200 years or something, not hear the same lecture twice, you know, just like, you know, you know what I mean? But there's so much opportunity to associate uh, in that way, um, the, by hearing like that. And to 
don't think that the other the devotees come on Sundays and the devotees in the temple and the devotees are here today. Ah, oh, well, they're just you know chopped cabbage. No, they're they're also what's uh, being mentioned here. We associate with one another, and you know even if we're not the greatest greatest devotees, but we we all push each other a little bit to be better, and that's uh, that association. So there's ways to associate with equals. There's ways to associate with more advanced. Ways to associate with less advanced people. But all that association can help us advance. Asat Sangatiag E Vaishnavachar Stri Sangi Eka Sadhu Krishna Bhakta Ar. That when Lord Chaitanya was asked, How can you tell who's a Vaishnava? And he, this is how he answered actually, one, one way at one time. He said, Well, you can tell because the devotee won't associate with non devotees. Asat Sangatiag, they'll give up the associate of Asat. A Vaishnavachar, and they'll associate with devotees. Hmm? Okay, should we carry on? All right, text number six. where are we? Six. It is my good fortune that I have been able to see you, for you cannot easily be seen by persons who have not subdued the mind or controlled the senses. I am all the more fortunate to have touched with my head the blessed dust of your feet. I have fortunately been instructed by you, and thus great favor has been bestowed upon me. I thank God that I have listened with open ears to your pure words. And Prabhupada writes in the second paragraph, towards the end, Bhagavad Gita makes it clear that one can attain the highest perfection of spiritual life simply by offering service according to his ability, to his ability. Just as Arjuna served Krishna by his ability in the military art. Arjuna offered his service fully as a military man and he became perfect. Similarly, an artist can attain perfection simply by performing artistic work under the direction of a, the spiritual master. If one is a literary man, he can write articles and poetry for the service of the Lord under the direction of the spiritual master. If one is an IT specialist, one can also serve the Lord in that way. Did it say that? <laughs> What's yeah. It doesn't say that, but we, we can interpret that. One has to receive the message of the spiritual master regarding how to act in one's capacity. The spiritual master is an expert at giving such instructions. So the idea here, and this is really important sometimes, especially when we're introducing people. We just started, I don't think any of you are probably be interested because it's a little bit more of a basic class, but we started a basic class on Bhagavad Gita yesterday, um, Saturday's Two to four in the bhakti lounge right up there. Um, we're just going to go. We're going to uh, do it in twenty lessons, uh, one chapter a week, and chapter two and chapter eighteen two weeks because they're longer. And again, there's a hiatus for the next two weeks while I'm in India. But then we'll start uh, Saturdays two to four. Anyone, anyone can come. We're going to do more of an overview and getting into the real details. But uh, I, as an introduction, yesterday I was saying, okay, so you're going to read the first chapter, and you're going to see how you know. Um, uh, Arjuna is giving his reasons why he shouldn't fight. And remember that Krishna in the second chapter is gonna, and the rest of the book is going to be saying you should fight. Right? So it's important to understand that and Prabhupada is making it clear here that Arjuna is attaining perfection by offering his service what happens to be a military person as a service to Krishna. So IT special service to Krishna, you know, uh, uh, whatever we do for a living, 
offer that, offer that work uh, as an offering to the Lord. Um, and that's karma yoga, basically, and that can lead to perfection, as being said here. So it's not that Krishna is just inspiring people to fight. No, he's inspiring all of us to do our duty. And it just so happens he's speaking to Arjuna, who has a specific duty to perform. And we have our duties to perform. And he's telling Arjuna, listen, don't make a big deal. You know, just like t tomorrow's Monday. Right? And that's probably going to be either windy or gloomy again tomorrow. Is that right, weather-wise? Yeah? So you might look at Got to go to work. You know? But the, you know, a more Krishna-conscious approach is, you know, sukha, dukkha, samekritva, labdha, labdha, jam, happiness or distress, heat and cold, windy, rainy, whatever. It's my duty to do this. You know, I don't get into this whole thing with my mind saying, ah, oh, it's Monday, you know. Why not, you know, thank God it's Monday? Instead of just thank God it's Friday, right? <laughs> you know, like that. So we do, we do our duty and offer the fruits to the Lord. So that's what's being said here. Some thoughts on that? You're oh, you have your hand up? Okay. Okay, so Vinod and then. Uh, okay, Raghunanda and then Vinod. When I was reading this verse, the first thing that struck me was what it actually means to take association. So Swaimbu Manu himself is saying that he was listening with open ears uh -huh. to the pure words of Karadama Muni. Yes. So sometimes the tendency is there like, oh, I'm just hanging out with the other devotees just by that it's association and everything right. starts unfolding magically in my life. It, it's not like that. But and even in the case of Srila Prabhupada and his friend Narendra Malik, Prabhupada was paying attention to what Bhaktisiddhan Saraswati Thakur was saying. Yes. Even though he was not in a position to right away do it, he carefully considered it and mm -hmm. he thought throughout his life on how to implement that. Right. So that's the... Yes, so there's, so there's um, times when we really take... There's different you know, times in our life, in our, even in our day. So let's say we come to the temple on Sunday, for example, right? So there's, there's you know, like today, Srila Prabhupada is giving the Prabhachan. And then there'll be a discussion afterwards. So when there's a class, you know, we should listen with open ears and really try to learn something, right? And then there's times when you're standing online and you see somebody, how's the kids and how's the family? And that's, you know, that's just normal. It's not prajapa. And then it's just, you know, friendly, friendly talk. But it's good to have, just like if we invite devotees over to our home, it's good to have, uh, for prashadam, let's say, it's good to have some formal time, even if it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Well, before we, take, before we eat and talk about stuff, let's, you know, have a, little, have a little talk or a little class or hear something or something like that. And just, form, even if it's for a short amount of time, to focus uh, that that time like that. So it's not that, you know, some, we haven't seen a devotee in three years and we go, oh, sit down. <laughs> right? And we immediately, you know, but there should be because that's, that is that hearing submissively. We talked about that yesterday with this, uh, um, with a group in the Bhagavad Gita. So we were saying that we don't want blind acceptance at just whatever you read in the Gita and Prabhupada says, oh, I accept it blindly. You know, we know we consider it and think about it. And neither do, so that kind of fanaticism we don't want. And neither do we want this, oh, what is this nonsense kind of thing, you know. But no, we, we have some doubt, we have some question, we, we bring it up respectfully, but not just, you know, blindly accept. Because there are reasonable explanations for things. They should be explained reasonably. 
Is that all right? No? You know, G? So when you're saying that the IT person should offer his services, whatever mm -hmm. he can do for the IT, so many times question comes in my mind that, uh, you know, it's uh, who is doing better service, the pujari, who is doing arti and four o'clock wake up, and all the other side, you know, the person who is doing business, but he also contribute, you know, reasonable amount of uh, what he's earnings. So who's uh, better or bigger or something? who's better? Yeah. Um, whoever gives more money? No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, well, first of all, in whose eyes? Obviously, the better, whatever, not better, that's up to Krishna, because it's really their relationship with Krishna, right? And so who, who are we to predicate Krishna's mind? But what we should try to do as devotees is if we're a householder living outside and offering, we should always think, oh, the pujaris are so special. They're serving Krishna. This, they're so, so wonderful. In one time, Prabhupada said, very, very towards the end of his uh, stay with us, they're the most fortunate people in the world. They're dealing directly with Krishna. And the pujari should think, oh, look at these congregation members. They are so advanced. They have such busy lives. They have these bosses that they have to deal with and mortgages and all that. And still they offer so much service to the Lord. That's the ideal, that you just have this mutual appreciation of the, of the other. Instead of the pujari thinking, oh, I'm so much better than everybody because I have, you know, and then the congregation members say, yeah, well, that pujari wouldn't even have, you know, the funds to maintain himself if it wasn't for me giving my donation. You know, that, that doesn't uh, work. So this mutual appreciation is, is the ideal. Um, and I've seen, uh, I've seen probably more than anywhere else, I've seen in the temple in, uh, in Mumbai, in Chopati, they really worked on this for years and years and years to make sure that devotees in the temple really had deep, sincere appreciation for the congregation. And the congregation had deep, sincere appreciation for, for, the, uh, for the devotees. So that mutual respect is, is, is ideal. Um, so it's very hard, who knows what, Krishna thinks, you know, because it's, because it's really ultimately, it, it, as Prabhupada writes, um, well, two things that come to my mind. Prabhupada writes that it's not the service, it's a service attitude. So it's not the external, it's the attitude of bhakti in the heart. And that, and that you know, there's no thermometer that you can put in somebody's mouth to judge, well, how much? You know, where's your service attitude? At the same time, when he was asked this, he once said that, he once said that, the, that Pujari has some advantages. That doesn't say he's better. It's just that he, he, he gives the example of um, um, that uh, if, you, if you're a businessman, you can be a businessman on your own, but if you belong to the Chamber of Commerce, that helps, right? So if you're living in the temple and if your consciousness is right, that I'm living here, this is Krishna's property, I'm Krishna's servant, I, I you know, that has some advantages, right? I mean, it's obviously nicer to associate with Radha Madan Mohan than, you know, uh, Joe Meat Eater at work, right? On a certain level, but we, don't, we can't judge a person's devotion. Yeah. So you want to become Pujari? Well, Is that a uh, good idea? No. <laughs> no, I mean, in all seriousness, and I think, you know, if we all become pujari, then hmm, how the light will work, you know? 
Don't worry, we won't all become Pujari. Right. So <laughs> you, you don't have to worry balance, about that. You know, somebody has to do puja and somebody has to support. Exactly. And all. So exactly. then I think, you know, hmm, which way is better? No one's better. <laughs> it's just different. Even Varnashram, although we say Brahmins, you know, but we, we before you showed up, before you came, you know, is uh, which is the most important part of your body? Well, you could say your head, but uh, would you like to have no legs? Would you like to have no arms? Right? They all have to cooperate. So in an ISKCON center, we all cooperate. There's devotees here who live in full-time do service to the deities. There's people like us who live in the congregation. And as long as the mood is cooperative, it's, it can be very sweet. Is that all right? Yeah, I mean, like whenever we say, okay, let's make a temple, first thing what we do, oh, find the huge businessman around here who has industry. Let's go to him uh -huh. and ask him, you know, if he can pick in. So yes, so we, yes, we need, every, we need everything. So that's what yeah. that's Prabhupada would say that you, know, you can give your body, you can give your money, you can give your time. Um, there's one other one, land, is it? But anyway, we get, we're all supposed to give to Krishna, and we just give differently. Is he okay? Good. But we're all supposed to chant. That's the universal... Um, Denominator for Kali Yuga, it's the Yuga Dharma to Hare uh, Nama, Hare Nama, Hare Nama, Eva Kevalam. Let's see. We should all do some chanting, whether we do it 24 hours a day or 20 minutes a day, we should all do chanting. It's the Dharma for this age, it's a way to connect with Krishna. The red one? Orange one, red. Now he just switched orange. Prabhu, I you I think you answered the question that it is with a sincerity of intention what mm -hmm. matters is is the essence of what you're trying to say. Yes. Is, is there an inherent meaning in the karma itself? In like, the karma? Like uh, let's say I decide to clean a street one day. Mm -hmm. Is is there like an IT specialist? Maybe that's a question that is unanswered. Is that is there an inherent meaning in being an IT specialist? No, it's a temporary designation. It's an upadi, a designation that won't last forever. Right? When you leave this world, you're you know it's not uh, at all assured that in your next life you're going to be an IT specialist, <laughs> or even that IT will exist anymore. Who knows? Right? You know, uh, just like if you were making um, telephone books in your last life. You can't make telephone books because they don't make them anymore. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but no, it's just, it's a temporary designation, but we have this designation, so we use it in Krishna's service. That's, that's, the, uh, that's the idea. Now, actually, this even comes up in um, when Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur talks about uh, not offending devotees, right? And he says there's, there's these 26 qualities of a devotee, and 25 of them are called tatasta lakshanam. They, they may or may not manifest depending on different times in your life and your different roles in life. But the one is surrender to Krishna. That's called the srup lakshanam. And he talks about this uh, in the context of don't offend devotees. And his point is that don't offend anyone who's trying to be a devotee because you don't know who's surrendered to Krishna. Right? 
like, like uh, Raghunanam, who was a very intelligent person, okay? So if we asked him right now, if he could just, how many of us are in this room? Three, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. So if he could just grade us from one to 15, who's the most surrendered to Krishna to the least? Could you just go ahead and do that? Everybody was more <laughs> Yeah, okay. See, it's very hard. You don't know the inner. So Bhakti Mila Thakur's point is, therefore, don't offend anyone because you don't know. The, the, the sweeper on the street, it may be much more advanced than, the, uh, than the, the person with the big beard or the saffron cloth. You know, we don't know. We don't, because we don't know their inner relationship with Krishna. Even Prabhupada once was saying how, you know, in, in Vrindavan, the deity of Balaram and Krishna, so Krishna is black marble and Balaram is white marble, right? And also the, um, the floor in the Krishna Balaram Mandir is all made of black and white marble, right? So he said, don't think that if you're a pujari dressing Balaram and Krishna, white, white and black marble, or the person mopping the floor, that one is better than the other. He said, don't think like that. Both are just doing service to Krishna. So we don't want to be, yeah, I'm pujari. So I have one more question or clarification. So in material world, like there is a rich guy and poor guy, and then uh, there are rich, peop rich people. Oh, rich people, people and, and then people, like poor yeah. people. And people in the middle also. Middle also. So basically, there is always a hierarchy uh, that uh, the poor always submissive to the uh, rich people, right? And that rich people also treat in such a way that like they always mingle with like a higher, higher rich people, and then like rich people are, who are equal to them. So I, I see the similar similarities in devotional service. Also, devotees who are like senior, they want to mingle with much more senior people. And then uh, who are junior, they have to be submissive. So having these similarities like material and spiritual world, and well, uh, can you speak about that? Well, everyone wants to, whoops, sorry about that. Everyone, um, we, we, we seek uh, more advanced association. That's, that's natural because we want to, you know. Um, but there is a statement, uh, there is a concept of swajatiya. So literally, swa means like, with, or with, and jati literally means like cast. But here, the idea swajatiya means like-minded, right? So naturally, we, we, there's some tendency to associate with like-minded people. In, even in devotionally, but I don't always see that. As a matter of fact, when I speak lots of, lots of times to uh, sannyasis and people who have taken the service of spiritual master, um, they often tell me that they, that they really look for the times when they can associate with their peers and they don't get much of an opportunity. They're mainly traveling around and associating with younger devotees and with disciples. And so they really try to find that time. Uh, it's just like... Um, there's a very nice devotee, her name is Nirguna Mataji, and she's Bengali. And uh, her father was a friend of Prabhupada's, and she, she got initiated when she was 14 years old by Prabhupada. So Prabhupada would sometimes go to her, her house in, in Calcutta and talk to her father. And they, they spoke friendly, you know, because Prabhupada really, you know, she could, her understand, you know, he could like just act like a, he didn't have to be the big acharya, he could talk to his friend and she remembers one time when he was he was there it was like 1976 and he was just saying 
I can't control this movement. It's way out of my control, <laughs> you know, because it was taking off in so many different places and people becoming devotees. And he was, you know, you know, when he was telling disciples, we have to create a GBC, and you know, but when he was talking to a friend, he's just like, <laughs> so we all need that sometimes, where we could just let our hair down, so to speak, you know, and, and talk to people like that, you know. So, so senior devotees also need that time sometimes when they can just, you know, talk to uh, peers. So we all need that. We need time to talk to peers. We need time with the senior people. And we need, also need time to cultivate less advanced people. And there's different rasas in those three relationships. Like that. The reason I was asking is... I told you that story, right, about uh, my good friend Mahamantra Prabhu in Delhi. And he had, the, uh, he had two cell phones, right? Remember I told you that story? And one was uh, he was talking to his driver and the other one was uh, the uh, PA of the prime minister or the president, rather, of the country, and he got the two phones confused. So he started yelling at the, the PA or the prime minister or the you know, president, and he started speaking very sweetly to his driver. <laughs> you know? So there's different rasas. There's different relationships. <laughs> Go ahead. So now, basically, uh, the, the experience I'm seeing is, like, uh, I want to get closer to the senior devotees, but, like, uh, this always want to keep a distance that uh, yeah. I'm senior. That that uh, mood, uh, it's provoking my ego uh, in some aspect. Um, and, uh, you know, th that is the struggle. I, I see a similarity in material world and like I see similarity in the spiritual uh, realm that, uh, uh, that challenges me that uh, what we are different from others. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it would depends on individual uh, context, but it's also said, Prabhupada writes in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, that um, it's not easy to associate with an advanced devotee, like with your spiritual master, right? Because, you know, it's just like the one time uh, in the early, early days in, uh, in Mayapur, and uh, uh, there was a devotee who was a photographer, taking pictures a lot, right? So always want to take pictures of Prabhupada. So Prabhupada's walking out into the fields with his lota and a gumsha on. So anyone from India knows what's happening there. But this devotee was from America, didn't know, so he's like following Prabhupada with his camera. You know, because it means Prabhupada was going to relieve himself, right? You know, but then we all know it, that, you know, they've been in India, no. And Prabhupada said, no, this is not the right time. You know, so one might, you know, one, if one associates very intimately with a spiritual master and doesn't have a mature thinking, they might think, oh, it's just an ordinary guy like me, you know. So um, sometimes that awe and reverence is, is healthy in the beginning. I know uh, it's kind of funny seeing the relationship between uh, my wife and Radhana Swami because she, she, keeps that distance. She's always kind of like hiding behind other devotees and not, and, and because, you know, she's a town president and, you know, kind of a senior devotee, he's always like, ah, yeah. <laughs> he finds her, you know, and, and spends time with her, you know, uh, like that. But she has that also Catholic upbringing where you're very respectful to the priests and, you know, she has it very kind of deeply in her heart. Whereas, you know, somebody from my background, it's like, hey, Maharaj, how's it going, you know? <laughs> What's up? You know, because I grew up with totally irreverent uh, approach to authority, uh, you know, in my childhood. So that sometimes that distance is also kind of healthy for, especially for a neophyte person. 
Anything else? All right. We're not getting very far, but we're having some really interesting discussions. <laughs> uh, we are on then text eight. Oh, great sage, graciously, now this is what he asks, be pleased to listen to the prayer of my humble self, for my mind is troubled by affection for my daughter. My daughter is the sister of Priyavrata and Uttanapad. Um, she is seeking a suitable husband in terms of age, character, and good qualities. The moment she heard from the sage Narada of your noble character, learning and beautiful appearance, youth and other virtues, she fixed her mind upon you. Prabhupada writes, the girl Devahuti did not personally see Kardamamuni, nor did she personally experience his character qualities, since there was no social intercourse by which she could gain such understanding. But she heard about Kardamamuni from the authority of Narada Muni. Hearing from authority is a better experience than gaining personal understanding. She heard from Narada Muni that Kardamamuni was just fit to be her husband. Therefore, she became fixed in her heart that she would marry him, and she expressed her desire to her father, who therefore brought him before her. So two things. The, the, key, the real key philosophical point here is that hearing is uh, important, or most important. Right? You can, I mean, what's better, to, uh, the child to experience touching the, 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 uh, the hot stove and burning their hand? Right? Or the parents saying, don't touch that, you're going to get burned. Right? Obviously, you know, hearing from a more experienced person is better. Um, sometimes we have to go, we go through our hard knocks <laughs> in, our, in life. But if we, you know, hearing uh, from Shastra, it can really help us avoid a lot of bad mistakes in life, a lot of bad decisions. Right? And hearing from more advanced people, even Traditionally, the idea of, you know, how seniors are, are respected in a good society. You know, it, it becomes so lost in, in the West sometimes, that idea. And especially now, with the increase in, in uh, technology. And so, you know, a, a kid sees their grandparent, you know, struggling with, how do you turn this thing on? You know, right? and the kid rolls their eyes. You know, they're seven years old and they know exactly how to, you know, do everything. So what do they have to learn from a grandparent? Right? And that's so sad because that grandparent has so much life experience that they can pass on. It may not be about how to use an iPhone 7, right? but it may be about things that are much more important in life. You know, so a culture, uh, what, you know, in, in, in the Vedic culture, you had great respect even for someone who taught you math or, or something. Let's speak of a guru you know, who taught you uh, spiritual things, right? And, uh, you know, the culture in India was you wake up, the first thing you do, you see your parents, you touch their feet, right? Now you kind of like touch their knee and, you know, you know just, right? it becomes, right, you've seen that, it just becomes, oh, whatever, you know, you know, uh, it's lost a lot of its, uh, you don't want to hurt your back or something. Um, it's lost some of its significance if you see it in, in many parts of India today, not everywhere. Um, <clears throat> but this was... This was the idea that we, you know, we learned from seniors. So here, what to speak of learning from someone like Narada Muni? Yes. Yeah, it's a very interesting. Do your point. daughters touch your feet every morning? Uh, well, in so. <laughs> he avoided that question. No, <laughs> no, no. That, so, in, there's two thoughts in India. One mm -hmm. is, uh, your daughter not supposed to be touching your feet. Certain part. Right. Certain part is okay. 
but my daughter is not touching no i'm just pulling right. just pulling so uh, but thing is a very interesting point uh, that how this uh, old system is kind of being challenged now mm-hmm. uh, respecting older people or experienced people i think more and more i see the experience is taking back seat yeah because of this technology it says uh, one is you gave example for phone smartphone and all that but in workplace experience yeah, was workplace. in a certain tools i become very good so i can help others but what happening the tool is not anymore there right the new tool came and then i become obsolete and these people younger people become very smart in that so now the experience is out of the window you know so now right. the new thing is challenge challenges we respect the knowledge or we respect the age mm-hmm. yeah i think oh, right. age is always not a factor to respect you know to who has more quality we respect that no well, that i mean yes yeah but so we we may there may be times when someone may be young and very knowledgeable and so that's great and still that person if they have culture they'll respect an elder even if they uh, there's what is it do you remember into the sanskrit does anyone remember in one place that you know jumping over the head of a another person is considered disrespectful so there are some examples in shastra where uh actually it comes up here with um narda maitreya and vidura right maitreya was much more senior right so they told vidura don't go to udava go to my no udava said no don't go to me go to maitreya because out of even though udava on a spiritual level was probably more advanced they will know there's a senior in in front of him right so like uh, one thing one thing i guess cuz i learned that culture being in india so long so if i'm giving a class and there's sannyasis or you know prabhupada disciples i'll usually especially in vrindavan where there's a lot of them i'll usually say well before giving this class you know i i uh, you know beg the, the you know i offer my respect and i beg the mercy of the senior devotees here cuz that's a, appropriate you know it doesn't take a long i don't get into a whole trip about it it's a you know a 5 second sentence but it's just appropriate yeah. I mean I was taught you know, I was born and grew up in India I taught that way but now I'm start rethinking that system because uh, when I see the person is not up to the mark you know then why should I respect for it just for his age okay good point so respect can be it because it's a good thing in society to respect elders some at least external protocol of respect can be there although one st- one can still you know say you know in, in the heart of hearts say well you know i respect you boss or what shila prabhu would sometimes say he used this term often respect from a distance so you you follow you keep the protocol you keep the culture going and at the same time you don't uh oh so what should i do with my life and you know somebody's like totally corrupt or right is going to try to take advantage of you or things like that yeah or as uh, our one of our previous presidents would say uh, um trust but verify <laughs> yeah i think that's the right <laughs> yes, thing yeah. yeah so that was ronald reagan said that yeah. or as uh my, my good friend kadamakanna marish he's he's um dutch and dutch have a certain culture like you know so he would always say love and trust question mark he said love i love everybody trust uh, 
<laughs> so we do have to win people's trust to some extent. Still, this, in this culture, it was very nice. Narada Muni, obviously, we trust him. If Narada Muni tells you this is a good match, pass. <laughs> no problem. We don't say, well, listen, Narada, you know, I'm not so sure about you. I mean, gosh, you're only Lord Brahma's. Uh, you know, son, and you know, you're a pure devotee, and you know, you can travel all over the universe, but what else can you do for me? <laughs> Where did you go to college? <laughs> and could I get some references? Right, yeah. So, um, this person doesn't realize I'm giving class. Um, so, another thing here, which does come up a little further, and talking about culture, right, is, uh, so this was obviously an arranged marriage. Right? Clearly, it was an arranged marriage. And Devahuti was so happy, and, and she fixed her mind that Narnamuni says one person, plus. So that's, you know, Prabhupada talks about that in the, uh, um, that we often would give our heart to that first person, you know, very much. There's even a song that came out in the 80s, I think, about this, like that, you know. Um, so that was, you know, kind of the ideal that you didn't have to you know, kind of play the field and go on match.com and, you know, uh, you, your first love was in middle school and then high school and then college and, you know, you had, um, because there was a different, life wasn't just meant to try a lot of different partners and see which one fit and just, you know, especially in college, go a little crazy, right? Life has a different purpose than that. So marriage also had a different purpose. And so here it was uh, arranged and my, my marriage was arranged. Any, how many people had arranged marriages here? Okay. Wow, a lot. Okay. Right. No wonder you're all so happy. So mine also was arranged, actually, by a sannyasi. Well, he wasn't a sannyasi at the time. He was a grihasta at that time, and Badri Narayan, now Maharaj, arranged my marriage. Um, and it was just like, it was so easy. <laughs> Once that's my God, I just, I just can't imagine how it saved me so much worry and anxiety and everything because I kind of became a devotee when I was still in high school. So the boy-girl thing wasn't a big deal. Then I was a brahmacharya for 12 years. And then Maharaj just, oh, Bhadra, he just said, oh, I have a good match for you. And I said, okay. And didn't have to, you know, go, you know, have a line up and check which one, you know, and all this, you know, like that. It was really, saved me a lot of anxiety and things like that. So, um, so, but, you know, things are different today, you know. Uh, my son really wasn't very interested in me arranging his marriage. But it, it, but it, it does turn out, at least it looks like the person he's marrying, it's his first kind of relationship. So that's kind of, it's working out well, and first relationship for her also. So that's nice. It's rare, uh, you know, in, in America today or something like that, but it's good. Otherwise, oh, my God. I just, I just, I, when I was, so I was in 11th grade when I became interested in Krishna consciousness. So I wasn't, but I could just see how much total anxiety teenagers are in about the whole boy-girl thing. And unbelievable, just, you know, so, and the way they look and if they get a blemish and how to, oh, God, what kind of car they drive. And I was, you know, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, <laughs> kind of watching. <laughs> I have to deal with that stuff. <laughs> And I know other devotees who would say things, who went through that, who would say things like, I'll tell you, the big impetus for me to become a pure devotee and not take birth again is I don't want to be a teenager again. I don't want to be a teenager. That is too much. Yeah. 
Any other points on this? <laughs> I will read a little bit more. Therefore, please accept her, O chief of the Brahmanas, for I offer her with faith, and she is in every respect fit to be your wife and take charge of your household duties. You, to deny an offering that has come of itself is not commendable. Even now he's preaching to him a little bit, like, you better accept this daughter of mine. Because <laughs> he says, to deny an offering that has come of its own is not commended, even for one absolutely free from all attachment, much less one addicted to sensual pleasure. One who rejects an offering that comes of its own accord, but later begs a boon from a miser, thus losing his widespread reputation and his pride is humbled by the neglectful behavior of others. So here he's, anyway, he doesn't have to, he's, uh, Cardam is okay with the whole thing, but he's still kind of like getting a little heavy with him, you know, <laughs> like that. Uh, and it's funny, this first sentence, just, you know, cultures change, right? So listen to this first sentence. The general procedure of Vedic marriage is that a father offers his daughter to a suitable boy. That is a very respectful marriage. A boy should not go to the girl's father and ask for the hand of his daughters in marriage, right? Which is very much the Western thing, right? You know, could I please have your daughter, right? And the guy gets down on his knees and will you please, you know, it's kind of like, not, you know, uh, in, in, in Kali Yuga and now, you know, it's, it may not be like, oh my God, did we not have the, uh, this boy asked for my daughter in marriage and now it's all gonna be ruined? No, it's not like that, that it's all, but it's just interesting how the culture was very different. Oh, did somebody lose their glasses? Yes, could we hand to Prabhuji? Oh, thank you. All right. Um, another feature, and listen to this, of this incident is that Swayambhuvamana was an emperor. I mean, like, he was big. Not just one planet, like, yeah, the universe, yeah. But he went to offer his qualified daughter to a poor Brahmana. Karnamuni had no worldly possessions. He was a hermit living in the forest, but he was advanced in culture. Therefore, in offering one's daughter to a person, the culture and quality are counted as prominent, not wealth or any other material consideration. Does that happen in India today? Can you imagine Hindustan Times, you know, big advertisement. Uh, my son, no money, but very, very nice person, you know, uh, saintly in all respects, lives in the forest. And can you imagine, you know, thousands of phone calls coming through, like, <laughs> right? The first thing you ask is, you know, well, maybe what's the last name? So which, what is their, their gotra and their social status? But very close to that is Kitnarupya. <laughs> How much, you know, what does what the bank account look like? And, you know, what's the uh, dowry looking like here, <laughs> right? Um, so it's, again, topsy-turvy. It's a, you know, very different than, than the original idea. They were actually looking for the quality in the, in the man and in the woman. You're, you're, you're trying to look for a quality person, not, uh, you know, or a big thing, right, we mentioned, right, in, in um, advertisements in, in India, you see is a lot about the color, how light is the skin, <laughs> right? Like that means something, right? Or these kind of things. So here it says that one should, one should look for uh, the culture and quality. That should be prominent, not wealth or other material considerations. So here, again, we're seeing some cultural things that have so much been lost today. 
Yeah. Chakare, what to do? The world has uh, changed <clears throat> like that. But we, could, we should remember this, that these are the prominent things, looking for good quality. Krishna is taking care. Krishna is maintaining everyone. So Krishna will maintain. But our main thing is, if we're, you know, is, you know, if we're looking for a match, is this person a good, good quality person? Or if we have daughters or sons, is this person a good quality person? That's the key. Because believe me, there's a lot of wealthy people in this world who are really suffering in their relationships. As the Beatles sang many years ago, money can't buy you love. <laughs> right? It doesn't work that way. So some good lessons here. Next time you look at a, uh, what, is the one in, what is the one in India? It's not match.com. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so they should have a special thing. Qualities, you know, is he truthful? Is he control of senses, control of mind? I don't think they have it. They say, you know, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that. How many, how many lakhs or crores are you willing to spend on the wedding? <laughs> That's important. <laughs> okay, so we have no class for the next two weeks. I'm going to be in Govardhan Hill uh, by Krishna Willing. And then the next class will then be on the 19th, is a Sunday? Yeah, so 19th of November. So thank you very much for a very enlivening conversation. Hare Krishna.